he said unto them, Verily I say unto you, that there be some of them that stand here, which shall not taste of death, till they have seen the kingdom of God come with power. And after six days Jesus taketh with him Peter and James and John, and leadeth them up into an high mountain apart by themselves. And he was transfigured before them, and his raiment became shining, exceeding white as snow, so as no fuller on earth can white them. And there appeared unto them Elias with Moses, and they were talking with Jesus. And Peter answered and said to Jesus, Master, it is good for us to be here, and let us make th three tabernacles, one for thee, and one for Moses, and one for Elias. But he wist not what, he, what to say, for they were sore afraid. And there was a cloud that overshadowed them, and a voice came out of the cloud, saying, This is my beloved Son, hear him. And suddenly, when they had looked round about, they saw no man any more, save Jesus only with themselves. And as they came down from the mountain, he charged them that they should tell no man what things they had seen, till the Son of Man were risen from the dead. And they kept that saying with themselves, questioning one with another what the rising from the dead should mean. Welcome to the Unchanging Word Radio Bible Study. Our teacher is Dr. John G. Mitchell, a faithful teacher of the Word of God for more than 60 years. Life begins at Calvary, there my Savior died. He took my place and by His grace came with me to abide. All I need for living is mine by just believing. Life begins at Calvary, life that never ends. We continue from our last lesson, Mark chapter 9, verses 1 through 9. And here we are dealing with the transfiguration of our Lord Jesus Christ with Peter, James, and John in his presence, and also Elijah and Moses. Now Peter writes of this event in 2 Peter chapter 1, since he was there with the Lord, seeing the coming of the Lord in glory. Now also in this passage, the disciples were overshadowed by a cloud. And now out of this cloud came a voice saying, This is my beloved Son. Listen to him. And here God the Father commends Jesus, his Son. And in speaking to the disciples, he tells the disciples to listen to his Son, Jesus. How are you and I doing in listening to the words of the Savior as revealed in the Bible? Well, here is Dr. Mitchell, Mark chapter 9, verse 1. This is the Unchanging Word Bible Broadcast. Good day, friends. We come to you again. And we're dealing with the gospel through Mark. We're in chapter 9. And we've been discussing in our last lesson and again today the transfiguration of the Lord Jesus Christ. I just pray that every one of you will be reading over and over again the text. You know, it's a wonderful thing to have the text of a book in your mind so that when you're driving your car or going down the street or sitting down in your chair, whatever you're doing, you can just think through a whole book. You say, well, Mr. Mitchell, I couldn't do that. You never tried it. You just never tried it. You read a book through a number of times and sit down and think of what you've, of what you've seen in that book. You might be surprised how little or how much you know about it. 
It's to get that it's to get the flow of the truth revealed to us by the Spirit of God. Too many of God's people go off the deep end, if I can use that term, because they take portions of verses or sometimes take a whole verse entirely out of its context and read into it, which was never the intention of the Spirit of God. I think we ought to make it very, very clear when it comes to to the to knowing the truth of God. We compare Scripture with Scripture, but not out of context. For example, here I was saying the other day in talking about the transfiguration of Christ, that the doctrine of the transfiguration is the coming of the Lord Jesus in glory. Now I'm not I'm not uh, pulling that out of the air. Because in reading my Bible, I find, for example, in John 1, 14, that John, John the Apostle wrote, uh, concerning our Savior, the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory as of the only begotten of the Father. Now, when, when did John the Apostle see Jesus Christ in his glory? We beheld his glory. Only one place that I know of. That's on the Mount of Transfiguration. Or you take Peter. Peter was there. And what did Peter say? Peter says, we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. Well, Peter, when did you see Jesus in his majesty? When he walked among men, he was reviled of men, rejected of men. He was a man of sorrows. They took him and crucified him, cast him out. Peter, when did you see him in his majesty? He goes on to say, when we were with him in the Holy Mount. The transfiguration has to do with the coming of the Savior to set up his kingdom. You remember in verse 38 of of chapter 8, the Son of Man is going to come in the glory of his Father with his holy angels. When is that going to be? When he comes to the earth in power to reign. Well, you say, what about the church? Well, the church is going to be translated. We are caught up, as Thessalonians 4 says, we're caught up to meet the Lord in the air. The dead in Christ shall be raised, and we together with them shall be caught up to meet the Lord in the air, not on earth, in the air. And we will return with him when he comes to the earth to reign. He's going to come, as the Zechariah 14 says, he's going to come, with all his saints. And I'm going to be there and you're going to be there if you love the Savior. He's talking about the kingdom of God coming with power. And the transfiguration of Christ is a premature picture, if I can use that, of the coming of the Lord in glory. He's transfigured. Moses, you talked with Moses, the great lawgiver. When was the last time we saw Moses? He's in the last chapter of Deuteronomy, he was dead and buried. In Joshua 1, God said to Joshua, Moses, my servant, is dead. What's the next time you see Moses on the Mount of Transfiguration? Dead saints raised with the Lord when he comes. Elijah was there. Who was Elijah? He representing the prophets. What happened to Elijah? He never saw death. Second chapter of of Second Kings, you remember that Elijah was translated, caught up into heaven. He never saw death. Picture of living saints 
raptured and with the Lord when he comes. So that when the Lord comes to the earth, he's going to come with dead saints who have been raised and living saints who have been translated. This is what you have. This is the doctrine of the transfiguration of Christ. And then we mentioned the test of the transfiguration. It's a test of the person and character of Jesus Christ. No one could have the glory of God on him and in him and through him except the Son of God. This is a marvelous thing. What, a, what an experience for these men. Only one who was absolutely sinless in his character can be covered with the glory of God. There could be no sin there. In John 8, 46, he said to, these, to his enemies, which one of you convinced me of sin? They said, you're a demon-possessed man. You're a Samaritan. You're demon-possessed. God said he's my son, and he's sinless. Test of the character. The preceding chapter, the Lord had said to the disciples, what are men saying about me? Oh, some say you're one, some say you're the other. John the Baptist, Jeremiah, one of the prophets. What do you think? Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God, said Peter. My Father revealed that to you, say my Father revealed that to you. And the moment he says that, he brings in something else. He brings in the sinlessness of Christ. And then he brings in, in John, in Luke, pardon me, in Luke chapter 8, he's going to suffer, he's going to die. He's going to be raised again from the dead. The kingdom cannot come. There can be no, there can be no throne without a cross. Suffering, then glory. Suffering, then glory. The cross, then the throne. You see, this is one thing that the Jewish people never saw, that when Messiah comes, when the Christ comes, he's going to suffer. In fact, some Jews said there are going to be two Christs, two Messiahs, one to suffer and one to reign. No, he came the first time to suffer. But if it's going to be any value to you or to me, he must be sinless, then he must die. But how can he die if he's sinless? For the wages of sin is death. So the sinner that shall die. He bore your sin and my sin. First Peter 2.24 says, He himself bare our sins in his own body on the tree. And yet just two verses before that we read, uh, He left us an example. He did no sin. So the sinless one was made sin for you and me, that you and I might be redeemed. Now, we come to the third thing that I'm talking about, the transfiguration of Christ. We had the doctrine is the coming of the Lord in glory to reign. The test of the transfiguration has to do with his person. Now, the time of the transfiguration, I won't spend much time on this. The time of the transfiguration, we read in verse 2, and after six days, there seems to be six days of silence. Nothing is mentioned about those six days. Matthew says after six days. Mark says after six days. Uh, Luke chapter 9 says, and about six days afterwards, about six days. But six days, there seems to be silence there. He's just said, there's some standing here who shall not taste of death till they see the Son of Man, and see the kingdom of God come with power. He takes Peter, James, and John after six days into a high mountain and was transfigured before them. After six days, when is the Lord going to return to the earth? 
You may think I'm a little fanciful on this. After six days, after six days, you know, the human race has been approximately 6,000 years on earth. In a thousand years, you remember, in Second Peter, a thousand years before God is as a day, and one day is a thousand years. As far as God's concerned, a thousand years and a day are the same. No such thing as time with God. But I'm picking up that scripture a thousand years are, are, are as a day. See, you, you, it goes, as far as God's concerned, it goes by so fast. And for six days, 6,000 years, man has been on the earth in sin, in rebellion. Oh, what a, what a history. From Adam right down to the present time. It's been 6,000 years of rebellion, of woe, of afflictions, of sorrows, you name it. Thank God he's going to come and he's going to change that whole business after six days, six days. Or there are those who believe that there are six dispensations, there'd be seven dispensations counting the kingdom, but we're in the sixth dispensation. Now let me get it clear, dispensation a dispensation is a responsibility. And you've had where God put man under, under different responsibilities concerning God. For example, you have the, the dispensation or the age of innocence. And I'm going to put those two words together. An age is a period of time. A dispensation is a responsibility. And there were certain times in the history of man where God put man under certain responsibilities. For example... You have the dispensation of innocence in the garden. Adam and Eve in the garden they had only one. What was, their, what was their responsibility? Not to touch the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And you remember they, they did this. So they, they, they failed God. And then from Adam, Adam to the flood, you've got the age of conscience, where God wrote in the minds of men his own laws as Romans 2.15 says, A conscience, the meanwhile, accusing or else excusing one another. You, haven't, you know, have no sign of idolatry, by the way, between Adam and Noah. Uh, but man went his own way. The whole earth was full of violence. See, you've got sin reigning. That's true. And they knew better. We call that the age of conscience. And then you've got the age of human government between, between the flood and the Tower of Babel, where God told men how to govern themselves. This is where you have, if a man takes a person's life, he must forfeit his own life. You have this in the time of human government. And then you have the time of, of promise, where God let the nations go their own way, and he picked up a man by the name of Abraham. He took Abraham out of idolatry, as Joshua 24 declares. And you take Isaiah 6. 51, first two or three verses, where, where God said to Israel, Look to the pit from which you've been digged. And to your father Abraham, I chose him when he, was on, when he was alone, when he was just one. God put them under a, under a promise, which they were to believe God, and Abraham believed God, and it was imputed to him for righteousness. And that's followed by the age of law, when you come down to Exodus chapters 19 and 20 and right on down through to the cross, you have the age of law for 1,500 years where God put Israel under the law of Moses. 
The Gentiles didn't have any law. Gentiles uh, went their own way. As Romans 1 says, God gave them up to uncleanness. He gave them up to vile affections. He gave them up to a reprobate mind to do the inconvenient things. And he picked up, and he picked up Israel, took them out of Egypt, brought them into the wilderness, brought them into the land, under the law of Moses. And they had a, first of all, they had a tabernacle, and they had a temple. God was in the midst of his people. And now we're in the age of grace. It's from the resurrection of Christ right through till the Lord returns for his own. We're in the age of grace. God today is not dealing with nations. He's not dealing with Israel. He's not dealing with the nations of the earth. He's dealing with individuals out of any nation, irrespective of who they are, where they are, or what they are. God wants men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. This is the age of grace. This is the dispensation of grace when God wants us to accept his Son. As John, John chapter 16 says, when the Spirit of truth has come, he will reprove the world of what? Of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment. Of sin because they lied? No. Stole? No. Of sin because they believe not on me. This is the issue. What will you do with Jesus, who was called the Christ? You either accept him or you reject him. To have the Son of God means life. Not to have the Son of God means not to have life. See, after six days, after six days, and I might say, friends, we're at the very, shall I say, we're at the very, toward the end of this age of grace. And just as each one ended in judgment, likewise this present age will end in judgment. Adam and Eve were cast out of the garden. The flood came and took them all away. The Tower of Babel, they were scattered over the face of the earth. And Abraham said, landed in Egypt and became slaves. And God freed them. And in 70 AD, they were scattered over the face of the earth. And the law was until John. Jesus came in, bringing a new age of grace. And just as each age has ended in judgment, so will this age and in judgment. Sad, terrible thing to think of, that the great majority of our people today in America, with all the blessings that God has showered upon us, so many of our citizens, so many of our people have spurned the Savior. A great many are indifferent. They just say, so what? I've had men tell me to shut up, not to talk to them about the Savior. They'd rather not hear. They'd rather be ignorant, rather die in their sins. Which leads me, of course, to the next one. The theme of the transfiguration. The theme of the transfiguration of Christ is what? Now, it's, and Mark doesn't give us that. But we find that in Luke chapter 9, verse 31. That when Jesus was there on the mount, he talked with Moses and Elias, and they discussed his decease his departure, which he should accomplish at Jerusalem. You see, they didn't talk about the great miracles of Moses, of how Moses split the Red Sea, of how Moses smote the rock and water came forth, of how the manna was showered from heaven. Uh, no, 
nothing about the power of Moses or the great laws of Moses given to him by God. They didn't discuss the law. They didn't discuss the miracles of Moses or the great exodus of, of a nation out of Egypt and how God preserved them for 40 years in a wilderness. He watered them, he clothed them, he fed them. Elijah was there. They didn't talk about Elijah's miracles either. What did Elijah do? Why, he shut the heavens, he raised the dead. You go on, read through in First Kings, starting about chapter 17, run on, you'll find about this man, Elijah. And in chapter 2, I think, of Second Kings, he was translated. You should not see death. No, they didn't talk about those things. They didn't even talk about Jesus' miracles, which he had just performed, where he had stilled the storm and cleansed the lepers and opened the eyes of the blind and raised the dead. Nothing is said about that. They didn't talk about spectacular things such as that. No, what did they talk about? His decease, which he should accomplish at Jerusalem. You ever think of it? Huh? He's transfigured. He's full of the glory of God. Why should he die? Why should they discuss his death? How can the sinless one die? Because of you, because of me. That's the theme, the supernatural death of the Son of God. You remember Jesus said in John 10, 18, No man taketh my life from me. I have power to lay it down. I have power to take it again. You see, everything's in control. You take, for example, Matthew 26, the first five verses. Jesus said, in two days will be the Passover and the Son of Man will be crucified. And you go on down to verses 4 and 5 and what do you find? You find the leaders of Israel gathering together and they're having a committee meeting, they're having a board meeting and they say, what are we going to do with them? We've got to kill them. But we can't do it on the feast day because they feared the people. We're going to kill them. They determined to kill them. But they couldn't set the time. Will you please notice at the beginning of the chapter, Jesus set the time of his death. In two days is Passover when the Son of Man shall be crucified. He not only set the time of his death, but he also declared the manner of his death. And when Pilate said to the Jews, you have a law, you go and judge him according to your law. Oh, no, they said, we can't do that. See, according to the law, they could, have, they could have stoned Jesus. They stoned Stephen. They didn't ask permission to stone Stephen. But crucifixion was a Roman punishment. He must die by crucifixion. And they would not be satisfied until he was crucified. You ever think of it? Oh, listen. No man taketh my life from me. I have power to lay it down. I have power to take it again. And Moses and Elias and Jesus discussed his departure, his decease, which he should accomplish at Jerusalem. My friend, let me very blunt tell you, neither Israel nor Pilate nor Caesar on the throne could have taken Christ's life at any time or how they should do it. Our Lord determined that. Our Lord determined that. You ever think of it? He determined that. His death was not only natural because of sin, but his death was supernatural. 
send us one dying for sinners. And he, I repeat it, he set his time and he set the manner of his death. No wonder in Romans chapter 5, you remember in verse, in verse 6, when we were yet without strength at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. At the right time. He's always on time. He was born at the right time in Galatians chapter 4. We read about that. Then he died at the right time in Romans chapter 5. And by the way, he's going to come back at the right time. And no one's going to stop him, neither power on earth or hell. He's going to do, perform his purpose. And none can say to him, what doest thou? You think about that, will you? I haven't finished yet on the transfiguration, but you think about it. Read it over and over and over again. And the Lord bless you today for his precious namesake. What condescension, oh, how can it be? What shame he suffered, oh, what agony. And then the death he died for sinners Thank you for listening to the Unchanging Word Radio Bible Study today. Write to us with your comments and your prayer requests to the Unchanging Word, P.O. Box 398, Dallas, Oregon 97338. And so until next time, this is the Unchanging Word Radio Broadcast. Life begins at Calvary.